0: The opinions voiced in Investing Simplified with Bo Caldwell are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual to determine what may be appropriate for you consult with an attorney, accountant, financial, or tax advisor prior to investing. Investors cannot invest directly in indexes. The performance of any index is not indicative of any investment and does not take into account the effects of inflation and the fees and expenses associated with investing. A diversified portfolio does not assure profit or prevent losses in a declining market. Roth IRA conversion is a taxable event. Guests on Investing Simplified are not affiliated with Price Financial Group Wealth Management Incorporated. Investment services offered through Price Financial Group Wealth Management Incorporated, an SEC-registered investment advisor.
1: Welcome into Investing Simplified. However, you're joining me. Thanks for tuning in today. As a reminder, if you miss parts of today's show, you can catch a replay by visiting www.pricefg.com or by downloading our podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We are looking to join up with getting our podcast hosted on Odyssey. We are not there yet, but you can download us on Amazon Music, iTunes, and Spotify. You can find our podcast, which is just a replay. Of the show, in case you missed the running live here on the radio in Portland, Oregon. I'm Bo Caldwell, CFP president and CEO of Price Financial Group. And let me just start by wishing you a happy new year, as this is the first broadcast that we have in the new year 2024. So, welcome to a new year, and we can start to analyze what the markets have done over the last year. Really easily now because it's only been, you know, four days in the markets in 2024. So it's a lot easier to have a year to date return. And I wanted to start the show kind of talking about that when we talk about returns and measurements in a year behind us, right? Now that we have a full year behind us and we can measure what happened in the year 2023 and look at how the overall stock market performed, how the bond market performed, what you were doing, what you could have been doing and talk about the different investing philosophies that are out there. When it comes to utilizing the markets and one of the things that I've heard a lot of is people trying to ask me, well, what's your prediction? What's the market going to do? And if you've listened to me for a long time, you know that I have no bloody idea. And that's just the honest truth of it is I don't know what it'll do except for when I tell you that it'll do one of three things. It'll go up. It'll go down or it'll go sideways, or it might be one combination of those three because it's going to do something like that over the next 12 months. And trying to pick out exactly what it's going to do is a fool's game, especially as we approach an election year this year in 2024. My prediction, and take it for what it's worth, is that we're going to have volatility in the markets as generally speaking happens when you have an election year. And a lot of times if you look at the data, The incumbent political party, whether that's Democrats or Republicans, will work and do their best to have the market go up over the course of the year that they're in an election year because they want to stay in power. And the other political party, if they're in power, will wish for the market to go down because they want their guy or gal in office to be elected in office the following year. But when you really look at the actual data, it really doesn't matter Who the president, who the control of the White House, who the control of Congress is, when you look at averaging out how the market does and how the economy does, it's about the same when you look at either political party. But depending on which way you digest your news and you get your news cycle, it will help you to lean one way or the other that one is better or the other for the economy. And I'm not here to tell you that you are wrong if you are voting one political party over the other or rooting for one political party, because in essence, the presidency controls very little, actually, of what the overall economy does. They can affect social things. They can affect international things. Obviously, foreign policy items are a big part of of what comes out of the office of the president. But when you look at the real economy and when you look at the stock market, which are different things, they are not affected nearly as much by the presidency as we usually think or as the president would like you to think. So when you look at real GDP, which is a measurement of how the economy has grown and how the economy works, according to J.P. Morgan's Guide to the Markets, which is a really great piece because they can show you just factual data that has nothing to do with what, you know, what political party is in, when you look at real GDP, year-over-year year percent change, over the last 70 years, the Republicans have been in control of government about 11% of the time, in control of the whole government. That includes when you have control of both houses of Congress and you have control of the, of the White House about 11% of the time. And the year-over-year year change annually in the real GDP, which is a measurement of the economy, has averaged about 2.8%. Democrats have been control of Congress and the White House about 29% of the time over that time period. And the average return on that GDP in terms of average growth of the economy, the real economy, has been about 4%. So slightly higher, but nominally, not much higher. And when you have a divided government, meaning one party controls Congress and one party controls the White House, which has been the majority of the time, about 61% of the time, we have that the economy has grown at an average of 2.7%, so even slightly a little bit lower. But then when you look at the market, which is what a lot of people use as a measurement of health of the economy, and I would argue is not necessarily the best measure because you'll see it has a different spread. So when we look at the S&P, the price index, just the price index, not including dividends that it's paid over time, but on a calendar year return, so we talk about the same thing, Republicans in control of both houses of Congress and the White House, about 11% of the time over the last 80 years. So average in the S&P, the average return annually has been 12.9% versus when Democrats were in control, again, about 29% of the time, the average return of the S&P has been 9.9%. So that's lower. So even though when we look at Republican-controlled government, the economy has grown less than it did under Democrat-controlled government, the market has grown more. So what that tells me is that, that when you're looking at the S&P 500 as a measure of how the economy is doing, it's they don't exactly match up. Now, if we look at a divided government, again, majority of the time, that's where you get that 7.9% average return in the overall market over time, which leads me to the point of we're talking about governments and which government is in control and maybe the market goes up, maybe the market goes down. As you can see, the market going up is different than the economy going up and it really doesn't matter which political party is in control. It's about the same, pretty much pretty close, you know, slightly more in the S and P 500 when Republicans were in control, slightly more in terms of the economy growing when Democrats were in control. So when we argue that, Hey, it makes a difference what political party is in power over time, to me, it it doesn't really seem like it makes that much of a difference. It does make a difference, again, socially, and maybe there are different items that you are worried about. So that's what I would urge you to vote with rather than thinking about how it's going to affect your 401k or your retirement accounts. The other piece is when you think about it, it's more about being invested over time. So we got a lot of people and ourselves included. We were pretty bearish on the market going into 2023 based on a lot of factors, right? Right. So we thought going into 2023 the market was going to have a little bit of trouble because of inflation, because of uh, uh, headwinds like oil prices, because of significant headwinds that existed out there in the overall economy and in in the world. But the market was very resilient. And last year, in fact, the S&P 500 over that period gained almost 25% last year in 2022. The year before it was down 26 or so percent. So really over a two year period, you're about flat, but if you thought, "Hey, after 2022, we need to go to cash because you know interest rates are really high. Let's put all of our money in that five percent, you know, one-year CD or five and a half percent money market, which is really great for lazy money, really great for your cash. Your, you know, because five percent is a lot better than point zero five that you are making at the bank. But if you pulled your money out of the market because you got scared and went all the cash, now you've only made 5% back. And now do we think over the next year, you're going to be able to make that, that amount of money back, the 26% that you lost or so in 2022? So really for your long-term money and in a long-term period, remaining invested is the key. So we want to make sure that we are remaining invested over time based on your long-term goals rather than trying to time the market. And especially rather than trying to time the market based on elections or political parties that are in power and interestingly enough if you look the last you know three administrations Donald Trump's economy President Obama's economy President Joe Biden's economy in terms of the market both Trump and Obama were pretty close in terms of the overall returns in the S&P 500 about 16% and President Biden's a little bit less about 14% but they're pretty close so it really doesn't really matter which direction they go politically if you actually look at studies as well that show the way that consumer confidence is going, it, it almost always skews along party lines, where and towards the end of President Obama's period, Democrats thought, hey, we're really forward-looking on the economy, we're thinking everything's going to be really good going forward, and Republicans were really down on it. Similarly, when Donald Trump was coming into his third and fourth year as president, then the Republicans thought, hey, you know, Republican voters that were surveyed thought, hey, the economy is doing great, we're going really great, we're going to be really rosy going forward, and Democrats were down. So you can see that people's vision on the economy and vision on the overall market really skews politically based on where they digest their news and what fits their narrative. But when you look at the long-term performance of the market, the market doesn't really care who's president, who's in control of Congress, and those items. So trying to base your portfolio on politics can really hurt you in the long run. And it can make you maybe stay out of booming economies if the party that you don't affiliate with is in power and vice versa. And if you feel negative about how the election is going to go, you think that the party that you support that you're affiliated with is not going to win, then you pull your money out and you could miss out on a 25% year in the S and P 500. So the thing that I've cautioned you on is I, that I would caution you on rather, as we go into an election cycle and as we go into an election year is take the politics out of your portfolio. Let's make sure that we're investing based on your long-term goals and your long-term risk tolerance. Because what I just described over the last two years is a pretty bumpy ride. Went down pretty hard in 2022 and up pretty hard in 2023, but that may not be a ride you want to be on. So make sure that you're investing with the risk tolerance for your long-term goals that you can afford to take, because that's the only thing that you can control. And when it comes to your portfolio, you cannot control what happens in Congress, what happens in Washington. And although you can affect what happens in an election year, you cannot control it either, but you can control how much overall risk you're taking in your portfolio. And if that risk doesn't match your long-term goals and it doesn't match what your tolerance for risk is, that can really be a problem because then we get into the point of you're investing for the long-term and we're buying into the market, but then when it starts to have a rough go, you may get out early and then miss that upswing that comes afterwards. And if you have that long-term focus, if you're looking long-term, it really doesn't matter. Statistically speaking, I just told you the statistics on different parties in power in Washington. It really doesn't matter which party is in power when it comes to your 401k or your IRA money. Now, what it affects is your taxes. We'll talk about that a little bit later, or potentially can affect your taxes. It can affect how you are able to withdraw or contribute to them because regulations are what Congress and the presidency can help to control or lack of regulations, you know, whichever way they're going. But they don't really affect the market as much as you might think. The big institutional money, the investors that are the JP Morgans of the world, the Black Rocks, the Vanguards that are moving all the money around, as well as all the investors in aggregate in this country that are investing their money, that's what controls which way the market is going to go and how that's going to affect your long-term plans. And if you haven't built out that plan and you don't know, Hey, what do I need to get? What am I comfortable getting? If you haven't gone through that exercise, make sure you talk to your advisor. And if they're not willing to talk to you about it, give our office a call because one of our fiduciary advisors will take you through that process, take you through our proprietary planning process. That'll build out that roadmap for you. We call it that investing simplified roadmap, right? It is simplified. It is driven down to where you can understand it, where you can make sure that you are on the right path for you, regardless of what happens in Washington, regardless of what happens on the campaign trail, regardless of what happens in an election year, you have your roadmap so you can feel comfortable sleeping at night, knowing that you've done everything you could to help prepare yourself for that retirement goal. Give our office a call, 503-253-3000, or visit www.pricefg.com to set up your complimentary consultation with a member of our team. We'll sit down with you in person or virtually via Zoom, whatever is most comfortable, and help you get that plan, get that roadmap on paper so you can feel like you are doing everything you can to help prepare yourself for retirement. I'm going to take a quick break here, and we'll be back with more Investing Simplified.
0: Leaving an employer can be stressful and overwhelming, but once the dust settles and you're at a new job or perhaps retired, it is important to consider your options for that retirement plan left behind. If this situation applies and you would like to hear more about options available for 401k, 403b, or other retirement account rollovers, Please give our office a call at 503-253-3000 to schedule a complimentary consultation with someone on the team to go over your specific and individual situation. We will take the time to get to know you, your goals, and let you know what the best course of action is for you and your family.
1: Welcome back to Investing Simplified. If you're just now joining us, thank you for making us a part of your day. And if you were worried that it was just going to be me speaking all day, I've got some great news for you. I've got one of our fiduciary advisors, David Ross, in here joining me. David, welcome back to the show. Thanks so much for having me. No, I mean, you know, it's not really me choosing to have you. I think I'm contractually obligated, right? (laughs) People don't want to listen to me. All day, every day. But, you know, Dave, we were talking in the break here as we were getting getting ready to come back on here about reasons why someone want, might want to work with a fiduciary advisor, reasons that people would reach out to an advisor. And you had some really good thoughts on, you know, hey, here's here's some reasons why, you know, I might want to work with an advisor because I do get that question when folks say, you know, why would I want to work with an advisor rather than, you know, potentially just buying the S&P 500 and holding it for forever?
2: Sure. No, it's, it's a really good point. There's all sorts of different reasons out there. Does it ever feel like the right time to do you know so many things in life? But we just need to get started. And what I know is there's not many people who said, wow. I started preparing for my future too early, right? You know, that that's just, <laughs> mm-hmm. we're not gonna hear that. It's all, oh, I wish I could, you know, and, and do all that, so. You don't wanna wait till it's too late, right? I mean, we've talked
1: about, I've talked about it on the radio, and I used to talk about it all the time when I first got started in the business, one of the things that really affected me the most is if you were to take the maximum amount you can contribute to a Roth IRA, start at age 20, fund it all the way till age 30 and stop, versus if you waited till age 30, started then maxing it out, all the way to 65, including the catch-ups, and using the same rate of return, you have more money in that first bucket. And that's just you know based on a straight rate of return, let alone all the other pieces that go into people deciding on a financial advisor.
2: Absolutely right. Time is really the one thing that obviously we know we can't get back and is so, so very valuable in in all of these. And yeah, I mean, the the power of compounding interest uh, through ups, downs, as you described the sideways, uh, it's still grinding forward for you. So keep feeding that snowball.
1: Right, and the more money you can get in. It's a concept that a lot of people don't understand, but when when they talk about how money compounds, where, you know, you think about it, it's not really... Money, a lot of people think of it as money is math, but when you think about compound interest, like you were talking about, it is math, but it's the power of compounding shows that, you know, the dollar that you put in, you know, the last dollar you put in doesn't make as much money as the dollar you put in 15 or 20
2: years ago. Sure, sure, absolutely. So, you know, get started, and even if it's small, if you're finding you know, 25, 50 bucks a month, just, just get it kicked off. You know, the first step is the biggest one and you will never be disappointed that you got started.
1: Right. But so if somebody's looking to get started and they are thinking, well, should I get started and just go knock down, you know, knock on this door down the street? Should I go down and just go down to the bank and open a, a, you know, a savings account? Why would they want to work with, with a team like ours? What, what sort of things have you seen that people have felt, Hey, this felt really good to work with a team like ours?
2: Yeah, it's a great question, and you know the the place down the street or where you happen to park your your bank money, uh, nothing against that institution. You know they're there to help out, but the reality is they are going to deal with hundreds, if not thousands, of individuals. And I think that in this world we like to have options, we like to be understood and listened to, and can hey can you give that back to me one more time? And so I'd say the the personal interaction uh, with what we do, obviously the process, I think. Uh, we've we've discussed, of course, on the radio a little bit, but feeling that in person is great. I mean, small reminder, of course, that's all complimentary. And So if you leave with nothing but a, a better understanding of what's going on and some positive steps you can take, that's phenomenal as well. So really valuable.
1: Yeah, well, you know, you think of people often talk about you know, I you know the light comes on in their car, right? So the light comes on, the little gas light that says, <laughs> you know, that it's service needed or maintenance required, or it depends on the depends on the vehicle that will that tell you. But you you know every six months, and people will start thinking, oh, it, it it's been six months in a day, or uh, you know, I that five thousand and and two miles, and I have to go you know go in and get my car updated. But that is the worst performing asset in most people's portfolio. Now we're not talking about classic vehicles i'm not talking about you know your 68 shelby mustang you know that you've restored maybe that does appreciate in value potentially as a collectible but when you're talking about your everyday vehicle it loses you know something like 20 to 30 percent of its value as soon as you drive it off the lot it is literally the worst performing asset in your life and people are hell-bent on making sure that they get that checked Every six months or every, every
2: 5,000 miles. That car is properly insured. <laughs> Yo, that, right, yeah, car, yeah. that car has its tires rotated. Hey, maybe two pairs of tires if, you know, you like doing that. Yeah. You could go with the all-weather tire, but hey, that's another discussion. <laughs> right. uh, but yeah, no, absolutely. That not-so-wonderfully-performing asset that you drive around every day, people put a lot of effort into. And, you know, you don't need to know everything that's going on under the hood if you've got the right people at the mechanic shop that you can trust.
1: Right, and you, it's funny when I'll have somebody that says, "Hey, oh my goodness, you know, I I can't go see a financial advisor. I can't take that time." But you, I would argue that your retirement plan, your retirement assets, that's a much more important asset than your vehicle, and much more monetarily too. Because a lot of people say, you know, like you know, you, you hear about you know, assets are the cars are expensive, sure, but not as expensive as retirement,
2: right? Clearly, yes, that's that's very true, and. You know, some people I think do get caught up in the idea of like, maybe I don't have enough to talk with a financial advisor, maybe yeah. enough money, or my situation's not complex, or whatever things you can tell yourself. But what I've always said is, I don't really believe in having an asset minimum, it's an attitude minimum. If you're the right kind of person, you want to honestly do better, get better, figure things out, then we're the right people to partner with. You know, it's not about having having to have a big stack of money already and say, aha, look what I've done. You know, that's that's great too, right? But uh, there, there's there's no too soon to get started on something like that. It's that important. You're going to spend more than whatever that car costs each year in your retirement. And, you know, with what's going on now, you could have 25, 30 years of, of hopefully a really robust retirement.
1: Yeah, it's worth it. It's worth it to do that plan and to come in. I, I really like what you you pointed out. A lot of people will say, "Well, I don't have enough money to meet with an advisor. My, I, I don't have uh, the complexity, like you mentioned." There's a lot of firms that that advertise on this station and and, and on other stations that will say, "Well." If you have a million dollars or more, or if you have $500,000 or more, and if you do have those asset numbers, that's great, like you said, and you could still benefit from doing a complex, comprehensive financial plan where we take a look holistically at your entire picture. But if you're just getting started, if all of your money's in a 401k plan because you've been doing a really great job of saving, you've been at the same job for a long time. I can really behoove you to just have that second opinion. We like to call it, you mentioned it's complimentary. What we like to do is to sit down and take you through our proprietary process. You'll sit down with an advisor like David. He'll go and take you through, hey, here's what I see. Here's what I would change if you worked with us. And here's how that would work. And if you like what he has to say, great. But worst case, like you said, worst case, you leave with a nugget or two of a way that you can positively affect your future. And I think that that's worth an hour or two of our time.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Because again, you know, yeah, you're going to have one or two results. One, hey, I'm doing amazing. Everything's mm-hmm, dialed. Mm-hmm. That's got to feel good. Feel confident and all that jazz. Keep on doing what you're doing. Or you're going to be pointing out some areas to hopefully strengthen things up and for the example you said of the person who's, which is very common by the way, whose major, you know, contributions or savings is that is that retirement plan at work, don't you think it deserves full attention if it's your biggest pile of money and one of the biggest things mm-hmm. you're working with? I mean, we're looking at you know leverage and, and just getting the most bang out of your buck, if you will.
1: Yeah, it makes sense to me that you would take a look at that. Asset, if it's your most, if it's your biggest, potentially most important asset in your life. And a lot of folks will say, well, I do have an advisor with my retirement plan. And like you said about the bank, there's nothing against those advisors because they are trying to, they're there to help and they're doing their best. But when my feedback I've gotten from clients that families that do work with us, they have an advisor on their 401k, but they can only see that advisor once a year, maybe when that advisor comes down to, you know, it comes down and set up a 15 minute, a 20 minute conversation over lunch. And you can go in and have that conversation to maybe learn a little bit about what you can do inside the plan. But they are generally speaking not licensed to take a holistic view of everything. And they're not allowed because the 401k plan, the provider is, is there to have, make sure you can stosh as much money as you can in there, keep the money in that plan. And they'll give you advice on how to save for retirement in the plan but they may or may not have that experience and the ability to help you take a look holistically at everything with a dollar sign in your life because it affects you you mentioned you know insuring that car everyone will make sure that their car has proper insurance do you have your retirement plan insured and i don't mean that as you can go out to you can't go down to the street to the insurance office and buy retirement plan insurance but what you can do is build out insurance outside of it not necessarily in an insurance product you know, you're not doing, you know, property and casualty insurance, but ensuring that your retirement plan doesn't have these holes that you're going to run into. And like you said before, when we're looking in, hey, if we can find one or two areas that we can bolster, that we can help you find that, I think that's worth your time. Just even if it's just that one area that you can do better.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Those things are very important. And and you nailed it when talking about the 401k advisor. Again, nothing against that person. there doing the best they can. All right. No, no shade. Uh, but that person, you said, in general, that's the word. They're only going to speak to you in generalities. And that's fine on some levels. But at the end of the day, whoever you are listening, wherever you are listening, we're all individuals and our situation's a little bit different. So we need someone who is dedicated, has the time and talents and the technology in this world now, too, super important to see what makes my situation tick, what makes your situation tick and how we can both uh, modify it and maximize its effectiveness.
1: Yeah, because you're not a number. You know, if you're out there listening and if you're an employee at Nike or at, you know, at Legacy Health or, you know, OHSU, these big employers that have these big employer plans, and they've done a great job. A lot of these plans and a lot of these employers are very generous in terms of what they match in your plan and the stock options that you're given in your plan, and it's great. But that's generally speaking where the support stops. Right. You know, in most cases, and you're a number in the plan. You're not a number as an employee. They know who you are as an employee, but that plan sponsor, you're a number in the plan because principal financial group or, you know, again, nothing wrong with principal. just one that popped in my head. They do a good job, but they manage hundreds of thousands of plans across the country. And so when you have to call an 800 number and you have to call in and, re, you know, re uh, identify yourself every time and four different times, give them your social security number and verify your birth date and verify your your home address. A lot of times people will come work with a team like ours because we get to know you and your situation personally. And when you call in, you talk to Aaron or Brant or Michaela or Ben or, or, you know, and then they transfer you over to your advisor and you say, hey, you know, Dave, I, I, you know, popped you an email. David will get back to you as soon as he possibly can. It's not a 48-hour turnaround time with somebody that doesn't know you. You don't have to do the live chat and then identify yourself about which, you know, what was your most recent statement balance? I don't know that. That's why I'm calling you, right? So we like to think of, you know, think of it like that. You have that personal touch, the person who gets to know you, and we think of ourselves as an extension of your family in that
2: respect. Absolutely. You know, that, that's important to be, to, to not just be a line item. And again, you know, nobody wants to be reduced to that, but to know what your scenario is. And that's why we take such an active role in staying connected with you. You mentioned the 401k advisor who might come by once a year or catch a Zoom once a year, something like that. We're here, well, unfortunately, all the time, really. <laughs> anyway, you slice it, right? Um, we're here because things change. Things change in your life. I bet you in 2023 several things changed in your life. I know they did in my life that I wasn't expecting, and uh, you know how to navigate those. You know, find the opportunities in there. It's it's all very very important. So again, having that connection, knowing that somebody's there for you, and our job is to proactively reach out to you. If you if you happen to work with us, which would be swell. You know, our job is to make sure your stuff's in order and you know what's going on. We are not going to work magic. Uh, We're not working behind any any crazy curtain or any Wizard of Oz nonsense. We are here to work partnering with you, use our time and talents, use your hard work, and collectively get you where you want to go.
1: Yeah, that's so. That's you know, that's our job is to help you make that plan to take you through our proprietary process, that investing simplified roadmap, and make sure that you are on track to reach your goals and treat you as an individual. If that sounds like something you'd like to explore, if you haven't heard from your advisor, if you got that four hundred one k advisor and you have got questions and you want to get them answered give our office a call 503-253-3000. We are here to help. And that first meeting is always complimentary. You will never get an invoice from us or anything like that. We're here to get that info to you because we truly believe that if we provide the right info, if we can show you the roadmap that we feel like works best and it makes sense to you, then you will want to work with us. And if not, worst case is we've set you up to be better prepared for what's coming down the line. And we, we true, that's a core value at our firm that we believe if we do the right thing by everybody, it will work out for us and for you and maybe as a partner, but worst case scenario, just somebody that knows that, Hey, they got some good advice, got some good ideas. We're going to take a break here and I'll be back with Ryan Crandall from e-Legacy. We're going to be talking estate planning made simple. This is investing simplified.
0: (laughs) Leaving an employer can be stressful and overwhelming, but once the dust settles and you're at a new job or perhaps retired, it is important to consider your options for that retirement plan left behind. If this situation applies and you would like to hear more about options available for 401k, 403b, or other retirement account rollovers, Please give our office a call at 503 253 3000 to schedule a complimentary consultation with someone on the team to go over your specific and individual situation. We will take the time to get to know you, your goals, and let you know what the best course of action is for you and your family.
1: Welcome back to Investing Simplified. Thank you for joining us. If you're just now joining us, thank you for making us a part of your day. We've come to the part of the show that we like to call Estate Planning Made Simple. And I have with me the owner and founder of eLegacy Law, one of our great partners here at Price Financial Group, Ryan Crandall. Welcome in, Ryan.
3: Yeah, thanks
1: for having me. And, you know, as you can probably see, he, we are in this digital world of Zoom. And so Ryan and I are going to talk a little bit today about some estate planning questions that we've come across, some things we find interesting. If you have a question for Ryan that you'd like him to answer, maybe on a future show or at least give you his perspective, make sure to send that question to askbo, A-S-K-B-O at com because we want to make sure that when we're talking estate planning and simplifying your estate planning, we're talking about Things that matter to you in your life. So, Ryan, we were talking a little bit in the break about when you have, you know, an estate plan, the whole purpose of getting the estate plan together is so that way your assets and your, you know, the things that you have go the way that you want them to go at your death rather than the way that the state or the government wants them to go. But sometimes people come, you know, we come across situations where maybe the uh, grantor, as we call them, right, the uh, decedent doesn't have a great relationship with their Family, maybe there's not a whole lot they want to leave to, you know, kids or to uh, to maybe they don't have a spouse or anything like that. They're estranged. What kind of situations do you come across in your practice when you know in those situations?
3: Yeah, you know, uh, unfortunately, that's something that we run into from time to time where there's you know not great familial relationships, and so some of the questions we get asked are, how do I keep my plan private? You know, what are my options for distributing assets, and you know, how do we navigate those? (laughs) know kind of sticky situations and so you know i usually start by explaining that you know in terms of who you name as beneficiaries of your estate uh, that's entirely up to you so sometimes clients have a an impression that they're required to leave assets to their children or or grandchildren or heirs uh, you're not uh, you have complete control over who you decide to distribute your estate to so that's kind of a starting point with, with a lot of clients is so, you know, if you want to give it all to charity, uh, that's entirely up to you. And, you know, a, a follow up to that, a, a lot of clients wonder, okay, well, you know, things aren't great. Maybe at the time, you know, I, I'm going through a rough patch with my son and, and things are not great. And, and I want to write him out of the will. Um, but maybe leave open the possibility that I'd add him back in the future, but I, I don't know, want him to know what I'm doing. You know, and if it if I do pass away, I, I don't necessarily want him, you know, to know all the details of my estate and who I decided to actually give my estate to. And so, how much is he entitled to to know? And you know, what kind of disclosures are are required? And so, you know, in that scenario, you know, I explained to the client that. Your son isn't entitled to know what's currently in your documents. You know, when we draft an estate plan, we always explain that these are these documents typically are revocable and they can be amended and, and updated. So what you decide to put in your plan today uh, could look different in the future. And we're not required to share any of that information with anyone while you're alive. Where that information does potentially get shared is at your passing. And that's where there can be a difference between, you know, the, the type of vehicle that we use for the, the plan, whether we're doing a, a will based plan or, or whether we're building the plan on a, a trust, uh, because generally with with wills, those documents, the, the entire will, the, the original will, if it's still available, actually gets filed with the court and it becomes public record, which oh. means that anyone can go in and they can get a, a, a copy of that will and um, and see who was written out of the will? Who was who was written into it? And so that's where there's a potential benefit to using a trust, uh, where we have a greater degree of protection, where trusts are generally carried out informally, out, outside of the uh, the oversight of, of a court or a public proceeding.
1: So, that's, so an, uh, that's an important piece, right? So you just mentioned that the will is completely public at your passing, right? Because you have to file it with the court as part of that Probate process. So, if you wanted to keep a little bit away from, say, your estranged son or maybe your sister who thinks that she has rights to you know to your money or you know whatever the case may be, they will be able to see everything that went down in the probate process because it's in a will. But if you use a trust or utilize a trust vehicle, they you're saying they don't get to necessarily see all that stuff, or will they still get to see some?
3: Not necessarily. So, you know, with the trust, when it comes time to administer that trust. You know, there are disclosures that get made to the beneficiaries of the trust. Mm -hmm. Um, And so typically we'll provide if, you know, those beneficiaries, let's say we have five individuals and they're the beneficiaries of the trust, they will receive copies of the portions of the trust that relate to them and their interest um, and not necessarily anything else. So they might know that they're a beneficiary of, you know, 10% of the estate, but they don't necessarily know who the other beneficiaries are. And so that's, that's one way to keep some of that information private. And, you know, another thing, and back to the, to the wills and, and a probate proceeding, um, is when a probate gets initiated, there are notices that get sent out required notices that are sent to interested parties. And generally those interested parties are, you know, anyone that's named as a beneficiary of the estate, uh, but it could also be just family members and children. Who, who might not necessarily uh, be a beneficiary of the estate, but we're still required to send them notice, um, which can sometimes look and feel like an invitation to to come in and, and contest the validity of the will and and involve themselves in, in this legal probate proceeding. And with a trust, we, we don't have to do that. We don't have to send these invitations for a lawsuit to other family members that aren't actually beneficiaries of the estate.
1: And so those, those are set by the state or how does that, is that, you know, generally that's that's
3: determined by, by state statute who's required to receive notice of a probate proceeding.
1: Okay. And so potentially, like if you, you know, hypothetically said, Hey, I wanted in that situation you described said, Hey, I want to make sure that my son is only this portion and then maybe I'm affecting it later, but I don't want him to know what the whole, The whole piece is if he's, you know, State of Oregon, for example, he'd probably get a notice that it's going through probate and he'd be able to see all of it. Yep. So if it's important to be, you know, uh, discreet, if you want to make sure that it's a little more privacy, you don't have as much sort of open kimono, for lack of a better phrase, right, Mm -hmm. on your estate planning, then a trust can really make a lot of sense.
3: It can. Uh, Yeah. You know, trusts as a starting point are going to be handled uh, and carried out privately and and informally. Now, a, a trust can always be wrapped, you know, pulled into a lawsuit. Okay. Um, you know, if, if it, that disgruntled uh, strange family member comes in and, and files a lawsuit, yeah, they they can pull the trust into it. But there's still going to be some some protections and discovery. They might not, yeah, you and know, ways to to maybe retain, you know, some of the, the information that doesn't directly pertain to them. There's a much higher cost of entry, right? Uh, sure. to, they've got to be uh, much more proactive in filing a lawsuit to, against the trust and, and the trustee than in a probate where we're kind of giving them that invitation to insert themselves into the proceedings.
1: Sure. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Cause it's, maybe it's going to be a barrier to entry for them to file said lawsuit because they actually have to get legal representation. They can't just come down to the courthouse and say, Hey, I want to I want to see it. I'm, you know, that's my mom. That's my mom's estate. I want to see it. So that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, it could be situations, not necessarily we've described estrangement where you're utilizing that and trying to keep it private, but could it be, you know, situations where maybe it's not estrangement, but maybe it's just, Hey, I don't, you know, maybe a spendthrift child or, you know, someone who has drug or alcohol problems or something like that. So maybe it's not estrangement. You're just wanting to make sure to keep it separate. And I, I would imagine that trust is also in a situation where if someone passes away with a significant estate and wants to dole out things over time, then that would have to be a, a the same a similar deal, right? You can't necessarily do that with a simple will.
3: Yeah, certainly not a simple will. Um, I mean, you can have a will that creates trusts at death, but you know, usually if, if we're going that route, we would we'll just create the trust during your lifetime, you know, using an irrevocable irrevoc- living trust. So. You know, to to your point yes if you know let's say we've got multiple siblings and one of them is a spendthrift we can we we can draft in special provisions for that that child that provides some more structure and, and oversight and again that could potentially save them and the family some embarrassment if you know if we're able to do that in a trust versus in, in a will where you know again that information would, would all be public Sure.
1: and Like you said, I, I I like the point you just made about it being an embarrassment for the family, potentially, because it's not necessarily that you want to keep things hidden, but maybe you don't want to just air the dirty laundry, right? Even yeah, there's, laundry there's,
3: yeah. Let's avoid airing any dirty laundry as much as, as we possibly can. So, yeah.
1: That makes complete sense to me. So in terms of how people are looking at it, because we've often talked, you know, when we talk about Hey, we're, whether we need a will or a trust, a lot of times folks ask if there's a dollar sign, which sometimes there could be a dollar sign that you're looking at those things, right, because of the probate cost. But really, it seems like it comes down to privacy and, you know, and malleability, right? So there's a lot easier moves. You said it's a little informally as opposed to a will. And correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding is with a will, somebody's got to go to probate. You got to get the court order to move the stuff around as opposed to a trust. That that you know, I don't want to use the wrong term, but that springing into, I've passed away. I have everything listed in trust. My son is my successor trustee. He doesn't have to go to the court to get an order to go get my bank account as long as my bank account is in the name of the trust.
3: Exactly, that's the beauty of it. We're we're setting all all of that up, the structure ahead of time, and the legal mechanism for the people who we want to step into our shoes to do that. Um, You know, that's that's why probate's required is is. You know, we, we have a person named as the executor of the estate, but they actually don't have the authority until the, they go through that process and the judge gives it to them. Um, with the trust, we don't have to do that. We're able to give them the authority, you know, during our lifetimes, it doesn't require a judge to sign off on any of that. And so um, that it cuts that out of the process entirely.
1: I like it. That makes a lot of sense. So you're able to just a little more control, which I know most folks that I talk to when they're talking about these date planning pieces, wanting to make sure that they are in control rather than the court or or the state. And one thing I, you know, I mentioned in there and I know you and I've talked about it before, but the important thing is if you have a trust, make sure everything's named in the trust in the name of the trust, right? Because it sort of defeats the purpose if you have accounts that are not in the name of the trust, if you've set up a trust.
3: Exactly. And you know, there are a lot of people out there, unfortunately, that have trusts but assets outside of the name of the trust. And you know, in that case, um, what would happen is really that the trust is not going to be much better than a will because they will end up having to go to court and file a will, what we call a pour over will, to take any assets that were left outside of the trust and pour them into the trust. Um, and so that's a really important part of the process that you, that you brought up. And, and I'm glad you mentioned it, because even a lot of attorneys and law firms will create the trust, you know, the trust documents but not go through that process of ensuring that the assets are titled correctly. You know, For us at Legacy, that's step five in our five-step process is, is we go through every single asset, all the bank accounts, real properties, um, vehicles, and make sure everything's titled in the name of the trust and so that the trust is actually gonna work as intended and, and we're not gonna end up in probate anyway
1: not going to have to chase the things around. Well, that's a that's a great segue. So, Ryan, before we end end the segment here, when when people want to have those questions answered, maybe they just don't even know if their stuff's properly titled, how do they get a hold of you and your firm?
3: Yep, yeah, they uh, can reach us at elegacylaw.com. Right there on our homepage, you can schedule a time to meet with one of our consultants. You know, it only takes a minute or two to schedule that and usually we can be meeting with you the next business day and and getting that process started. Uh, so eLegacyLaw.com or you can reach us if you prefer phone at uh, 888-308-PLAN and we can get you started that way too.
1: Perfect. And if you have questions or you missed that, you can always call our office and we will connect you with Ryan and his team. Ryan, thank you so much for being here this, you know for this segment. It's so important to us to have your estate planning made simple part of the show. We're so happy to do it. So we'll look to talk uh, next week, but I-, I appreciate you joining us. We'll be back yeah, with more Investing Simplified.
4: I'll bet you've heard me talk about e-Legacy Law and how Tina and I wanted to protect our family by creating an airtight estate plan. Hey, it's Lars, but e-Legacy Law isn't just for our circumstances. They have many ways to help you protect your assets, including community property agreements and pre- and post agreements. Whether you're currently married, going through a divorce, or newly engaged or newly married, make sure your estate plan works for you. e-Legacy Law is a full-service estate planning law firm that's completely virtual. We worked with an experienced estate planning attorney to get our custom plan done without ever having to set foot out of our house. And you can do it too. The process couldn't be easier. They offer affordable flat fee rate pricing on all estate plans, so no surprises. Go to eLegacyLars to get the Lars Larson special rate to save $250 using promo code SAVE, only available to my listeners. That's e-Legacy Lars to save $250 today. That's eLegacyLars.com, eLegacyLars.com.
1: Welcome back to Investing Simplified. Thanks for making us a part of your day. As a reminder, you can download replays of the show from our website at www.pricefg.com where you can also find the ability to set up your complimentary consultation with a member of our team or by calling 503-253-3000. So I wanted to go through, you know, options on income. So I've had a lot of questions that have come in about, you know, Retirement income, because you hear a lot of commercials and a lot of television shows. I shouldn't say television shows, but commercials on television or infomercials that talk about income, 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 income. And I really think that income is a great thing to talk about for retirement. Retirement income is ideal to talk about, but it doesn't mean you have to have a job. It doesn't mean that you have to have specifically income set up. What a lot of those pitches are talking about are income annuities. So people will take a certain amount of money and turn it into an annuitized payment. That's when you hear, you know, the options for the Powerball are either a lump sum or 26 annual payments, right? That's an annuity. And that's what Social Security is in reality, right? It is an annuity, a lifetime income annuity. And those can be a good portion of income. They can make up a nice portion of your income if you have income annuities set up. So you can use your money and put it into an annuity and then it will pay you a guaranteed amount of income, perhaps a growing amount of income for the rest of your life or perhaps yours and your spouse's life. Those folks who have PERS, the tier one PERS are very familiar with this concept, as well as again, those on social security. The negatives on annuities and using annuities for income is costs generally. So if you're using a variable annuity, it's both cost and principal at value loss because the market could cause your principal to go to zero, but if you're using it for income, I don't really care about the principal because as long as it's paying me that level amount of income or a rising amount of income, right, over the rest of my life, but the cost can be prohibitive on some of those. We prefer to utilize fixed indexed annuities if we're going to use those for income, but generally speaking, unless we've planned it out specifically to turn on that income, it might not be the ideal spot. So what you'll hear a lot of people talk about, Warren Buffett in particular, we're talking about, I don't need the income, I'll just sell stock, right? So if you are lucky enough to have built up a portfolio of stocks, you can generate income off stock really in two major ways. There's other ways, but really two major ways without getting into the idea of derivatives, right, which would take a whole other segment. Maybe I'll talk about that on another show, but the idea of you know using options and derivatives to generate income. But if you're just using traditional stock income, the number one way obviously is the Warren Buffett way, which is dividends. So you buy your big, you know, strong companies that pay a really good dividend. Maybe they pay 2 or 3%. So if you have $100,000 in that stock, it's going to pay you $2 or $3,000. Now, that doesn't sound super wicked attractive, right? But if you can get to the point where you're generating enough in dividends from those stocks, To cover your income goals, it can be really great because then you still have the potential for that stock to increase in value. And historically, stocks that pay good dividends and pay rising dividends do really well over a long period of time. Now they don't always, and they will go down at some point, right? The stock market doesn't just go up. And it can be really hard to have that much money in stocks in order to generate enough income. Because most of the time, People, when talking about retirement income, the goal is to have the same amount or close to the same amount of after-tax income in retirement that you did while you were working. Maybe a little bit less, maybe a little bit more. So stocks, the one way to generate income off them, like I said, is to build up a position in stocks that has dividends on them. The other is to just sell some stocks. Don't worry about income. I have one client that says, I'm not worried about income. I'll just sell some stock. And that can be an effective strategy if you have enough stock to weather the storms of the stock market to generate income, right? So we can generate income off stocks. We can generate income off annuities. We can generate income off of fixed income or fixed interest investments as well. So you can buy bonds, either municipal bonds or corporate bonds or bond funds, funds of bonds. You can buy those and they will generate interest income similar to a CD. A CD is really a bond. It's just a certificate of deposit. It's a bank bond that's guaranteed by the federal government, but it operates the same way. So here's a fixed amount of income. Now you're going to have a similar issue, even with interest rates on the rise, you're going to have a similar issue that you did with stocks in terms of having to have a large amount of money in that particular bond or CD in order for three, four 5% to generate enough income for you to live in retirement. Okay, so let's have those pieces. And I really like to have, lots of different options, lots of different streams coming in, right? Ideally in, in retirement, you have multiple income streams coming in, right? So then we can look at real estate, right? Because that's where a lot of people think of income in terms of investment is real estate. We can talk about rental houses or commercial real estate where you have tenants, so you're getting rent, but either way, you're getting income off of that property over time. And it can be really great. It can be really, really fruitful and potentially depending on where your home is, You know, if you're in a really good school district or if you're in a really desirable area or if you're doing short-term rentals like Airbnb or VRBO, you can generate some really nice income in retirement. The negative, obviously, right, is that you got to be dealing with the three T's. You got to deal with tenants, toilets, and trash, right? So you got to be a landlord. And what you can do is you can go and find, you know, management companies that for a very reasonable price will actually help maintain all those th- maintain those 3T's and personally for me I think that's the way to go unless you're going to be hands on doing and you're a handy person you're very handy and you can fix things and you're ready to be called in the middle of the night because a toilet broke right or the other thing you can worry about and my father mentions this why he's never wanted to invest in in rental property is what if they start cooking meth on the floor cuz you can't control that right you can do all the background checks you can do all the looking into people and you can do as much as you think but some people just cook math on the floor, right? And you can't prepare for that. And so that really dips into your income, especially if that's your only stream. But I think it can be a very effective strategy for income, right? You can have an income generating property that can help supplement. Because if you need, you know, $6,000 a month in order to survive in retirement, if you can get 2000 from Social Security and 2000 from your dividends and 2000 from your rental house, that's great. Especially if you can get a little more than you need from each of them, because if one of them goes down or one of them is not producing at a certain time, what I like to think about in terms of a retirement plan and planning for retirement income is building out your portfolio to include all of those different types of things in your retirement plan to make sure that we can pull different levers. Because the other piece of it is, is taxes, right? So I really like to have the options to have some tax-free, some taxable, and some tax-deferred income all the time in retirement, right? And to have a plan built out that says, hey, I don't care what the stock market is doing on a day-to-day, a month-to-month, or even a year-to-year basis because I want to make sure that I don't have to look at those numbers and see red and be stressed out. I want to be able to generate this income off of my investments to make sure that I can last the rest of my life on this income. And so building out the different levers to pull, which in my mind includes all of those different pieces is a super important part about building your retirement portfolio. And, you know, quite honestly, I've talked about it on here before. I do like to play the lottery. I'll play the Powerball as we talked about that annuity from the beginning, but I'm not doing it for retirement purposes. You do it for entertainment purposes, right? Because even if I did win that Powerball, I'm splitting up that money into these different income streams because I don't want one to go under. So to us, it makes a lot of sense. and it doesn't mean you have to have all of them. But it makes a lot of sense to have multiple different places that your income is coming from in retirement, because I would hate to be in a situation, heaven forbid, where, you know, the stock market has a two or three year run where it's down. You know, we have 2000, 2001, 2002 happen again. We have 1966 to 1982 where the market is flat. I want to be able to generate income off the market, but also have the ability to not need to pull from there. I want to have the ability to generate income from an annuity, but not have the need To pull from there and i want to have the ability to generate income from my bond portfolio but not have to pull money from there and i want to have the ability to pull that income from the rental property but what if i don't have tenants can't get blood out of a turnip as they say so i don't want to be in a situation where all my eggs are in one basket proverbially because i don't want to be in that situation where i'm worried about where my income is coming from so ideally not only are we diversified in our investments but well, we are diversified in our income streams in retirement. And building that out starts early because you may think, well, that's 30, 40 years from now if you're young. Or you may think, well, I can't do that now because there's no way I'm going to get there. I'm 10 years out of retirement. Give us a call. Come in and see us. Let's talk about your income plan and how we're going to build that plan for you. And sometimes, I'm going to be honest with you folks, sometimes that involves hard choices about whether we need to take down spending, we need to push out retirement, Maybe we need to work a little longer, you know, save some more money. But a lot of times it's a lot simpler than you think to get that diversified income stream planned for retirement and it will make you feel so much better if you have a plan. Trust me, when you have a plan, you can rely on that plan and you can feel more comfortable with these gyrations in the stock market because to me, in my opinion, the volatility is here to stay in the markets. So wouldn't it be nice if you could get up and watch the sports show in the morning if you're a sport person or, or you know, watch a 700 club if you're a, a particularly devout person or watch whatever you're going to watch that doesn't involve the stock market news because you don't have to worry about the stock market and whether or not your income is going to be there in retirement. So if you'd like to give that a shot, see how it looks, see how your portfolio is positioned and if you're ready to go, give us a call 503-253-3000 or visit www.pricefg.com. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week with more Investing Simplified.
0: The opinions voiced in Investing Simplified with Bo Caldwell are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine what may be appropriate for you, consult with an attorney, accountant, financial, or tax advisor prior to investing. Investors cannot invest directly in indexes. The performance of any index is not indicative of any investment and does not take into account the effects of inflation and the fees and expenses associated with investing. A diversified portfolio does not assure profit or prevent losses in a declining market. Roth IRA conversion is a taxable event. Guests on Investing Simplified are not affiliated with Price Financial Group Wealth Management Incorporated. Investment services offered through Price Financial Group Wealth Management Incorporated, an SEC-registered investment advisor.